I'll never forget the first lesson I learned the first day of preaching class in seminary. The professor got to the front, and his name was Daryl Johnson, and he talked to us about how if you really want to be good at bringing the gospel anywhere, you need to be good at two things. You need to be able to exegete scripture, and you need to be able to exegete your culture. You need to be able to understand the moment in which you stand and even the subculture in which you are directly communicating in that moment. And so often when we gather as a community like we did last semester, we walk our way through a text like we did the book of Revelation. And I know it feels a little bit different this semester. We're spending a little more time now specifically looking at what is going on in this cultural moment. What's going on in this generation in particular? And maybe it feels at times a little more like sociology than it does biblical study. And yet every one of our lives is called to be that which the gospel is proclaimed off of every every bit as much as this book that we hold and that we turn to. Our story tells God's story. And I want you guys to know full well the generation and the world in which you are growing up in. You see, I firmly believe that your generation is going to do something particular in this country's history. We are at a very, very pivotal moment. And I think that there is something particular about Generation Z and how it's going to embody the gospel, how it's going to um, reincarnate the church. And I, I want you to know what your world is like. And I know many of us grew up in um, pretty distinctive Christian enclaves, but we don't know where God's taking us from here. And I want you to be fully informed and knowledgeable, maybe even more knowledgeable about the, with the people around you than they are of the world that they live in or the water that they're swimming in and what the cultural currents all look like. So I want to try to wash you in some information of that as well as the encouragement we get from Scripture. As we, as we talk about this in this series. A book I was looking through again this week was a book called Churchless. It's sort of tracking some of these changes and these movements. One of their findings was this, that two in three unchurched Americans say they are spiritual people. So people who aren't going to church still regard themselves as spiritual. More than half say their faith is important in their life. 99% of Americans are aware of Christianity and Seven out of every ten hold a favorable view of it, and yet at the same time, nearly half see no value in personally attending church. So either culture has changed dramatically, or the church's ability to speak into it has changed dramatically, or maybe it's some sort of combination of both. I've grown increasingly frustrated the last while when I show up in church and there's some massive event going on in the world and it's not mentioned from the pulpit or in prayer. And I feel like at times there's these messages of disconnect between what we're experiencing Monday to Saturday or what we're seeing in the world around us or what our fears are all about and the Jesus who's supposed to speak into those events and answer those fears. And if our faith starts to become disconnected from the rest of it, it starts to become much more personal. It starts to become much more hidden It starts to become much more irrelevant. And I want you to have a faith that speaks into that. That's why you chose a college like this that's talking about God in every sphere, in every corner. And maybe you feel like you get that in class at times ad nauseum, but you're going to need it more than any generation has before you. And you're going to need to articulate that in new ways and in refreshing ways. In his book, Meet Generation Z, he talks about these three forces at work, three key forces at play in this cultural moment that have tipped the squishy middle. There's been a tipping point that's taken place in culture where you used to be able to assume a certain amount of understanding and even appreciation of Christianity, or you wouldn't push at that. 
I was watching um, Big Bang Theory last night, and there was an episode that was a rerun, and it had to do with Sheldon going back and, and meeting his mom. And he was so informed and all the scientific knowledge that he had and his mom's faith just seemed so blind and irrelevant. It was so closed-minded and it really was being mocked through the episode. That Sheldon was the one in the know but his religious and believing mom was really just in the dark. And I think a generation ago you would have had any TV show and there would have been a positive assumption like you don't want to offend the Christians because chances are that's more than half your audience. But now as we even engage media, we begin to see that that's changing. And the assumption is that Christianity is becoming more and more on the margins rather than standing in the middle. And I'm not here to bemoan that fact with you so much as I think it's creating an opportunity to be recreated within your generation. We talk about this tipping point. Here's this sort of line, okay? And this is already from 2014, so this is in some ways outdated information already. These numbers have changed when, from when churchless was written. So here you've got like the people engaged in church, right? You got your 57%. And look over here, the de-churched and purely unchurched. And these numbers keep growing. So this, this, this balance is sliding its way across. As you look at this movement from the 90s to 2000 to 2014, where 43% now of Americans would be considered unchurched. And that number keeps growing. So you need to have these assumptions in mind when you walk into a workplace, when you walk into an internship, when you walk into any new opportunity within your community about the people that you are engaging. Now, this isn't just about your generation and Generation Z, right, or the nuns, whatever we want to call you. Um, this is from um, some work done and research by Pathios. And you can see the religious nuns by age. So nun doesn't just refer to Gen Z. You can see at the bottom here... Wrong button. I'll go back. There we go. There's a laser pointer. All right, so our blue line, right? This is the youngest generation of 18 to 29-year-olds in the country right now, and the percentage is increasing faster. But even age 50-plus, look at this. There's an increasing discontent with church among all generations. So this is happening across the board. It's more pronounced in your generation, statistically speaking, but it's really happening across the board. Not only that, we can't even decide what to call you guys yet. And all the different books that I was reading through on the bookshelf, these are the different titles I saw this week. Nuns, Gen Z, iGen, The Duns, Digital Native, Screenagers. That's my favorite, Screenagers. <laughs> but it's unfair every time we do this because the truth is, is that you can't just stereotype people. And I can't just take a bunch of statistics that have been researched and immediately apply them to their li- your life. Because individually there's... We are a collage, right? We're all sorts of different people who've made individual choices, and some of these things apply directly to you, and some of them probably won't, because um, we, we are all sort of in this giant mosaic and all mixed up together. In fact, each one of us, it's kind of a freaky picture, right? Each one of us really is, 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 is a collage of experiences of the different people we've interacted with and the uniqueness of your upbringing, and we're all very, very different that way. This is one of the resources I spent the most time in this week. It's the most up-to-date Barna resource um, on Gen Z, and that's their favorite term for you guys. And here's the summary statements that come out of that work, summarizing your generation. See if this resonates with you at all. These are the six trends Barna has identified that are powerfully at work to create the ethos of the next generation. Number one, they are screenagers. Here's, the, here's where they get that idea from, that 57% of all Gen Z's spend four plus hours a day in front of a screen. 57% spend four plus hours in front of a screen. 
26%, more than one quarter, spend over eight hours a day digitally engaged, the screen in front of them. So this is where this idea of screenagers come from. So if you engage the whole world like that, that's going to have a profound effect on how we engage other people and how we engage our world. When your primary means of engagement for many people in their waking hours has been digitally. Their worldview is post-Christian. This is what I mean by the tipping point. This is really something that's new in our culture when the majority of people aren't seeing the world through the Christian story that they were raised within. You may have heard this word worldview here before at Dort College, but I want to assure you we're not the only people who use this term. This is incredibly significant, but it really is the lenses and assumptions that you put on when you walk out the door and engage the rest of the world. What is your worldview? And for the first time, really, it's post-Christian. That safe spaces are normal. This has to do with the logical conclusion of being in a pluralistic environment and society where it's really hard to say something definitively because you might offend somebody. And statistics show that you guys are, um, that this generation in particular is more afraid of offending somebody and has anxiety about that. And so there are what we call safe spaces all over where you um, can feel safe to be, where you won't be picked on for what you believe and you won't be challenged in the middle of that. And so we surround ourselves in little cultural and particularly digital enclaves of people who think like us, act like us, like the same music as us, and create our own digital echo chambers where our own ideas become more and more reinforced. There's something very safe about that, but there's also something very dangerous in terms of just cognitive dissonance and its absence in our life and in our learning. Real safety is a myth. This is something that's incredibly unique. You guys are growing up in a generation that has never known anything other than the war on terror. Most post-9-11 people grew up in a different world and have never really known a time of significant peace in their life. And so this is even already a distinct difference between you and millennials in terms of how you understand the world around you and engage it. And you are diverse. Much more diverse, in fact. Over half of Gen Z is non-white in America. That has never been able to be said of a single generation that has come before you. That will have a profound impact on how we engage the world. And I love this last one. Their parents are double-minded. Their parents typically are uh, Gen Xers, people like me. And um, the reason why they mean when they talk about being double-minded is they say that in some aspects of your life, your parents have been very helicopter parentish, um, that they've been hovering, that they've been overly involved. And yet in other areas, they're very absent, that technology has increased at rapid rates and parents are often very removed from that. So either you have some parts of your life where your parents are over-involved and other parts of your life where your parents are under-involved or just simply clueless. Um, and so that's the finding that they kind of came to when it comes to understanding your parents. Now, I wanted to not just read data back to you, but start collecting data points off of you. So I asked you to bring your cell phones today. So if you guys want to go ahead and grab those out now. And I'm going to ask staff and faculty, if you can refrain from answering these questions, I really, we really just need the, the answers coming from um, our student body. If, if you are Gen Z, if you're a student here, you're the ones who we want to hear from. And I'm going to use some of this information we're going to collect today in um, other messages as we go forward as well. So what I need you to do now is uh, if you can text Dort Chapel 2018 to 37607. That's going to give you access to um, all the polls that I'm going to put up on the, on the screen in a minute. Text Dort Chapel 2018 to 37607. And Anna, as we do that, if you can um, already go to the, the first question, 
on the next screen. And it might have to be live in order for this texting to work. Is it letting you guys in? Dort Chapel 2018 to 37607. You can see it up on the top of the screen as well. All right, is this working? Are you in? All right, let's try this first one. Um, just to see if this is all working for us. This is going to be a word cloud experiment. So what one word would you use to describe your current church experience? One word. See if you can summarize it down. First thing that comes to mind. I'm going to make sure that we uh, collect this data. I'll make this all available to you guys when we're done, all the inf information that we get from today. Um, you can tell if you've never done exercise like this with word clouds before that those that are um, being repeated in answers are coming up bigger, um, more bold. This is the longest answer probably it'll take for us to do uh, because... This is the only one that actually requires typing in a word. Everything else will be single-letter answers from here on out. And I should say, too, I'm, just so you all know, all of these are completely anonymous. I cannot trace who you are. Um, you really can't answer all of this anonymously. That's a guarantee from polleverywhere.com that we're getting this, this stuff from. All right, we'll be able to expand this out even a little bit further later. I'll give you just 10 more seconds here for anybody finishing typing in any words. Then we're going to go to the next screen. Please keep your cell phones out. I really want to be able to talk to you guys about sort of uh, your experience with church in particular. That's where we're seeing the biggest disconnect. So that's where our questions are really coming from. Anna, let's go ahead to the next screen here. All right, overall, I am optimistic about the future of the church in America. This is just a yes, A, um, or no, B. So how are you feeling? Are, are you optimistic about the future of the church in America, or are you feeling pretty pessimistic about the future of the church? If you're feeling optimistic, yes. A little more pessimistic, no. Now, I understand there's one variable, of course, that any statistician would pick on me for is where I'm actually asking all the people who go to chapel these questions, right? So maybe our answers are a little more favorably skewed um, for people who are already invested in their own spiritual development. All right, 60-40. We're going to call it. Let's go to the next one. I would like it if I could be considered a good Christian without having to go to church. I find a lot of people in the, in the book still talk about the social pressures, familial pressures, um, pressure around them to attend church, fear of, of how they'll be perceived if they don't go. But if you really could be considered a good Christian without having to go to church, would you like that? Or are you experiencing an intrinsic value um, in your participation in local congregation?
That's a decided answer. That's good. All right, let's go to the next one. All right, honesty time. I attend church weekly, a couple times per month, rarely, never anymore, twice weekly. See, and I, I think here in particular, it's our chapel goers who are going to skew this. See, if I could take the anonymous off, then I could send the same thing later on via email to everybody who wasn't here. All right, that's good. All right, let's go to the next one. The thing I'm looking for most in a church is, so what are your biggest, um, what's your biggest priority when you go looking for a church? You're going you're gonna to leave here, maybe you move to a new community, what, you're going to church shop, biblical preaching, A, um, are you looking for community, B, inspiring worship, C, um, an outward facing church, D, a church that's interested in, in its community and a global impact, um, or Sunday school um, and other types of programming at your church. What would, what would influence your decision the most? in which church you would participate in and attend. Oh, the preacher in me likes this one. All right, I think we're settling in on our numbers there. All right, let's do the next one, Anna. If I were ever, oh, someone's quickly, okay. (laughs) If I were ever to stop going to church, it would be because church is irrelevant to my life, church is too boring, churches have problems, I'm simply not interested, I don't have time, I don't believe in God, and there's no value in attending. I'm telling you, I'm... These, the last couple questions here are, are a little more complicated and have more options in them. And one of the things I'm really interested in this is we're going to put this data up against the same question that's been asked for years um, of other people through Barna Research. So we're going to look at our um, answers to this in accordance with how they fall into the national averages as well. If I could make another slide right now on the spot, it would be, what kind of problems? All right. Next slide, please. Somebody was still putting C on the last one. I think. You can change your answer, by the way, just so you know. Um, the most important thing I want to accomplish um, before, and then it's supposed to say age 30, is, and here again, we're lining up with other national polls that are being done. What, what's your biggest priority before you turn 30? To finish your education, start a career, become financially independent, follow your dreams, enjoy your youth, find out who you really are, travel to other countries, get married, become more spiritually mature, become a parent, care for the needy, and try to become famous or influential. Again, these categories are all taken from Barna National Research data, and we're going to kind of cross our results with theirs.
It's a longer list. I'll give you just a couple more seconds on that question yet. All right, and if we can go back to the, uh, the other slide. What I'm going to do now is pull up a slide that's going to show you um, the, the national answer data points um, to the same question that you were just asked. Okay, and not only that, it's in comparison to millennials. So you can see some of the significant changes that is happening even already between your generation and the one right before you. So here's the same category of lists that you saw, but things I'd like to accomplish before age 30. Gen Z's in the blue column here, millennials in the red. Okay, so finished my education was the top of the, their list. Um, and of course, keep in mind, this is a list, this is surveys taken across people, um, not just Christians, but the whole population in the United States from all different states um, and from various ranges within Gen Z as well. And you can see the top kind of answers and then they go in descending order all the way down. What's striking to me is the compare and contrast you see from um, Gen Z and millennials. Notice that your guys' interest in, um, as a whole as a generation in completing school is way up. School and career make significant jumps. So this is great news for admissions counselors at colleges. You guys are heavily invested in things like that. Follow your dreams is way up. Do you notice that? 24 percentage points. That's the single biggest jump. Some of the biggest ones that have gone down are, notice that, <coughs> from the priority of getting married, from 28, only one in five people under the age of 30, are interested in getting married before 30 in this country. The age of first marriage is going up right now. And then also to become a parent. Only 12% would expect to be a parent by the, or want, desire to be a parent by the time they're 30. The difference is when they got asked this question, they were allowed to answer any of these. And you guys, I just asked for your top priority. Um, and then, of course, the other, the other one that I was really interested in, become more spiritually mature. Look at that, within millennials, that was 29% and a 13% drop. Um, that's a real statistical difference that's happening here. Now, I'm throwing all this stuff at you about a changing landscape, and maybe some of it is, oh my goodness, this is really, really changing. So the one place I wanted to finish today is just simply with a reminder of the good news. I just washed you in a bunch of statistics. Now I want to wash you in a bunch of promises and truth. And maybe even just want to close your eyes for this. And all I want to do is I did a word study on generations. Because that's what we're looking at here, right? The different generations. I did a word study this week throughout the Psalms on generations. And this is what the psalmists all say about them. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness through all generations. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. 
For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. But you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. He remembers his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures forever. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, through all generations. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can you hear the theme running through this, this idea of generations, God's steadfastness and his promise that things can change and shift all around us and they always have throughout all of history, but God's promises to work and to be faithful and his covenants through all generations. These aren't just the ones before and nor just the ones that come after, that these are still promises that are spoken over you and this is the God who goes before you. I have so much excitement for what it is that you are going to do and how you will reincarnate church, how you will critique a church that you you say has been too self-interested and will look back outward again. A, ch a church that will learn to question some of its own roots when it has to, not do things just for the sake of doing them, but you question them and for a lot of the right reasons. You are going to reinvigorate and you are going to renew and you are going to resurrect and you're going to bring forth new life in things that you may have seen. There are good aspects of church that keep going, yes, but there are pieces that you have to add to that. We need your voice at the table. We need your passions and the uniqueness of what God is doing through your generation to be a part of this because you are going to lead us, and I cannot wait for that day to happen. I listen to your stories, and I listen to your prayers, and I listen to the passions that you guys have, and it just it excites me for the future of the church. I asked you the question earlier about pessimism or optimism regarding the church. I am so optimistic as I see the opportunities and I hear what it is that you guys are passionate about. God is moving in this generation. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do. When we pass the baton and say, all right, you guys lead us. The largest generation in this country. Will you lead us? Will you stand and receive a blessing? Children of God and one more generation within his covenant promises. Your God is with you and he is in you. He has gone before you and he will come after you. He will speak in you through your words when you lack them. He will enliven your imaginations with possibilities that the world has not even imagined yet. This is part of his faithfulness to us. Part of his faithfulness to you. Lead us. We're waiting for you. Go in peace. Amen.